So I am his sister. What kind of fucked up family is this? <laughs> I, I heard that too. I was like, what? wait, does it work that way? Well, in Georgia, it works that way. Well, that's because it really is your sister that you're you know, marrying. Do we have any listeners in Georgia, Dana? <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. Your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and fellow Star Trek enthusiast, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. I want to get a tattoo, Dana, that says Star Trek enthusiast. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you can get that. You know, I'm never getting a tattoo, and I have nothing against tattoos except for the pain that it would cause me to get one. I've been told that it's, it only hurts at first, and once they keep going with the needle, then you don't feel it as much. That doesn't help me at all, Dana. <laughs> does not ease my pain aversion. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any tattoos either. No. It occurred to me at one point when I was younger. What would it have said? Well, that's just it. I couldn't decide, you know, and where. Do you get it on your arm? Do you get it on your chest? Do you get it on your butt? Do you get it on your leg? Get it on your foot? Ooh, the foot. Ouch. The foot would hurt, I think. Don't you think, like the top of the foot, don't you think that would hurt? I would think so. I think the bottom of the foot would hurt worse. <laughs> that would hurt, man. No, I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll use a Sharpie if I, if I need to do something. A friend of mine has a uh, chameleon that's like wrapped around his ear and like the inside part of his ear, like the very top and then comes down and the tail is goes down his neck a little bit. Ouch. Yeah. He said it took a long time and it hurt like hell. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of cool, but. Yeah. On somebody else. Yeah. Y yeah. I couldn't do it. <laughs> you see those, you know, bald people, you see bald people, they get tattoos on their head. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd get a toupee sooner than uh, a tattoo. Yeah, I would not want to do that. Nope, not for me, Dana. Not for me. I have an uncle, speaking of toupees. Uh... <laughs> you know, here's the funny thing. We haven't even talked about Star Trek. <laughs> We're already rambling. <laughs> I have an uncle who, uh, I mean, I think he started losing his hair when he was like in his early 20s. In his 70s decided to get a toupee. Wow. And, it, you know, it looked good. It was a nice looking toupee and stuff. He had gotten uh, uh, skin cancer on top of his head. Mm -hmm. And so as he had told me he had originally gotten the toupee because it hid the uh, places where he had the skin cancer. And then it kept his top of his head out of the sun. Huh. You know, I, I don't know if you said anything to him, Dana, but a hat? <laughs> probably cheaper <laughs> yeah apparently it was a really nice toupee i mean i never saw it in person I wonder how much toupees are i have no clue I, I think a good one's kind of expensive so dan do you want to uh jump right in this week uh talk a little bit about uh we don't have a lot of listener comments but uh i thought we'd share a few want to dive into that yeah, let's do that. We received an email from Bill Ballas. Now, I full disclosure, I've known Bill since 1989 when we attended Pacific University together. Uh, apart from you, Dana, he is like maybe one of the funniest guys I know. He's also a talented musician. Obviously, he has really good taste because he listens to this podcast. Oh, and his wife, Bonnie, is also pretty amazing as well. But Bill emailed us about a hairpiece that William Shatner wore while filming Star Trek. It is up for auction, Dana. Wow. The hairpiece also comes with a certificate of authenticity, so we know it's real. I mean, it would have to be. But here's the thing. If William Shatner wore that thing, Dana, there would be DNA on it, right? You'd think. So could you harvest that and clone another William Shatner? That would be an awesome idea, Dan. <laughs> 
Well, here, here's the kicker. The bid starts at $1,000. Only $1,000, Dana. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cheap for such an awesome thing. We might have that in the ramble jar, Dan. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. In his email, Bill said, Great news, guys. One of William Shatner's hair pieces is up for auction. Opening bid, $1,000. Don't pass up this opportunity. So here's the deal. The auction is open for 31 days. As of this morning, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, there were no bids. Oh, my God. I think we need to start a GoFundMe campaign, Dana, to raise enough money to buy this <laughs> hair piece. I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, maybe Photo Bucket would kick in some money, too. But if we set up an account, okay, just hear me out before you, like, say no. <laughs> so we set up this <laughs> we set up this uh, GoFundMe account, okay? We posted it on our Facebook page and, and other social media. I'm sure, Dana. I'm, I'm positive that our fans would love to see pictures of us wearing this hairpiece in, in various locations. I, I was going to say positions, but people might get the wrong idea. Well, wait a minute. Hairpiece in various locations could mean a lot of things, too. So. <laughs> could. You're right. It totally could. We might have to clarify that. But we could even give like offer incentives, Dana, like the highest GoFundMe donation uh, could maybe suggest where we wear the hairpiece or maybe that person could name it. What do you, what do you think, Dana? I'd be so thrilled to wear that hairpiece. There, there is one issue. It's custody of the hairpiece. Like we'd have to have joint custody in some way. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I wear it for a month. You wear it for a month. Kind of like the adult diapers thing. But, you know, <laughs> once again, I wanted to wear it first. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see any downside to this, Dana, really. I'm sure my wife will. But... Uh... <laughs> Let's ask our listeners what they think about the idea. Yeah, I like that. So we'll put that out there. Let's see if anybody wants to uh, pitch in to uh, help us get uh, Bill Shatner's wig. Yeah, but $1,000. Only $1,000, Dana. All right, Bill, thanks for sending us that email. We're, we're, we have high hopes here, Bill, that we're going we're gonna to get this wig. Dana, you also have some messages from some of our listeners, don't you? Yeah, our good friend Olivia wrote, I've been listening to you guys for too long. She said, I could predict almost every word and innuendo Dan was going to laugh at. <laughs> she says, and then I was laughing right along with you two. As always, amazing episode. Well, thanks, Olivia. That was nice. Next message comes uh, from Craig Combs. Uh, he says, the immunity syndrome, despite the mind-blowing special effects, marks the point when TOS enters the lost in space territory, the 11,000 mile long sucking amoeba encased with a dark zone of space is never adequately explained beyond awkward word salad from Spock. How the shuttle survived the antimatter explosion intact is no more plausible than the Enterprise escaping without getting showered in protoplasm. Strip away the special effects and drill down the script and you're left with TOS's first bug-eyed monster to destroy. Watch at your own risk. I got to tell you, I started to write a reply on Facebook, but then I stopped because I thought we we're going to do the show. And uh, and I disagree. Uh, I think that there's a lot of good things in this episode. Like a lot of episodes, it's not perfect. I, I think that the show holds up pretty well. I think that the alien that is they can't communicate with or basically didn't try, but they uh, can't communicate with. And it's uh, just swallowing everything in its path and destroying things makes for a good enemy. It's it's a far cry from lost in space. Our last comment, we had uh, put up a post on Facebook for Star Trek Day and said, uh, happy Star Trek Day. And our friend Pam said, uh, but that's every day, isn't it? And it's true, Pam. Every day is Star Trek Day. Thank you for writing to us. 
Dan, you said you have a, uh, a phone message. Dana, not only did Olivia contact us via Facebook, but she also left a phone message for us. And here's what she had to say. McCoy got absolutely slammed. He just kept getting slammed by Kirk and Spock and everything. But uh, I also love the fact that this is an episode where he shows real concern for Spock. Happy Star Trek Day to y'all. Keep trekking on and live long and prosper. Bye. Well, thanks a lot, Olivia, for sharing that with us. And thanks for calling in. We really appreciate the phone calls that we get from our listeners. And Olivia has been a, a great supporter of us throughout the show. Thanks, Olivia, once again for calling in. And to our other listeners, make sure to give us a phone call. We love to get your messages. The phone number is 509-676-6298. Don't forget this Damn It Jim podcast is sponsored by Photobucket. Photobucket is an American company with over 100 million registered members and hosts over 10 billion images. Think of all the Star Trek memorabilia that must be out there on Photobucket as we speak. Photobucket gives you one secure place to store your photo and video memories. It's easy to use, and there are several plans to choose from. You can choose 25 gigabytes, 250 gigabytes, or they're now offering one terabyte of space for the price of $5. Use the Dammit Jim promo code when you sign up and get one month of Photobucket for free. Free, Dana? That's a great way to try out Photobucket. So before you forget, beam yourself up to Photobucket today and start preserving and sharing your Star Trek memories like never before. Don't wait because the final frontier awaits your creativity. Visit photobucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities. So season two, episode 19, A Private Little War. So first thing we see is uh, McCoy. He's on a planet taking samples. He contacts Kirk to see how much longer he would be. We go to Kirk and Spock, and Spock points out a large animal footprint of the Mugatu. Yeah, that foot, those footprints, Dana. Yeah, kind of weak. Yeah. Spock adds that it's a large ape-like creature. Kirk kind of reminisces about his uh, first planetary survey as lieutenant on this very planet. Spock comments on the qualities of the planet, how Earth-like it is. Aren't they all? <laughs> <laughs> When you said that, too, we get this, like, panning shot of some hills and stuff. We've seen this many times, haven't we, this location? It's Vasquez Rocks, yeah. Pretty place. We should go with the wig, Dana. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to go with the wig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, that would be great. <laughs> so uh, Spock continues to comment that Kirk uh, referred to it as a Garden of Eden. And Kirk notes that the inhabitants have stayed at the same technological level for centuries and that bows and arrows are the, still the tools for hunting. He also explains that the people are peaceful and never fight amongst themselves. Just then we hear voices in the distance. They go and look to see what the, where the voices are coming from. And these dark haired guys uh, emerge from the rocks with flintlock rifles. Spock comments, bows and arrows, Captain. Then they see another group walking in. They're blonde-haired men carrying bows and arrows. And Kirk recognizes one of them as uh, his old friend Tyree. Kirk sees they're walking into an ambush, and he pulls out his phaser. Spock reminds him of the Prime Directive and that they can't fire phasers here. 
So Kirk picks up a big stone and he throws it at the dark haired guys and it lands next to the guy and the guy fires his rifle. So the blonde haired dudes kind of scatter for cover and the dark haired guys chase after Kirk and Spock. Now, Dana, they were pretty far away, right? It was, he's got a good arm, you know, he, he threw that rock pretty good. So. He did. I mean, I could see maybe, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes or somebody throwing that far, but that they were far away. I mean, that was my impression anyway. Those wigs though, on those guys. I am shaking my head, Dan. That's, uh... <laughs> Every wig in this episode was so bad. They were massive. So the uh, these dark haired guys are chasing after Kirk and Spock and Spock ends up getting shot in the back by one of the men chasing them. I did notice there was no blood and it was an obvious stuntman who uh, took the fall for Spock. What did you think of that fall though? It was good. He looked like he got shot in the back. You know I mean? It kind of like stopped. His legs went out from under him and he kind of fell forward. When he fell forward, the thing that I was impressed by, his arms were still pretty much down at his sides, weren't they? Yeah. Well, one was kind of behind his back. Yeah. Do you think it maybe it was the same stunt guy who fell off the transporter pad in whatever episode that <laughs> I don't remember that that one, but that was also a good fall. I wonder if you can make a whole career on TV as a, you know, literally the fall guy. <laughs> yeah. We need somebody to fall off these steps. Hey, where's that guy that fell in Star Trek? You know, Kirk notices that Spock's phaser is missing and he scrambles around, finds it and he picks it up and he like is ready to shoot whoever comes over the hill. And Spock says, no. And he says, I'm, I can move. And so they get up and they run and they go to McCoy. They beam up to the ship and there's a team waiting for them with a gurney and they get Spock right onto the gurney in the transporter room. It's important to note Kyle is not at the transporter controls, so maybe he's not the chief transporter guy. In fact, we didn't see him at all in this episode, did we? No. He was still recovering from the the sound and the fury from last week's episode. So so McCoy requests a pressure packet, but it sounds like he says, give me a pressure gun. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I rewound it like three times. Mm-hmm. And as I turned up the volume, and every time it was like, give me a pressure. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering what it was. And I saw that, you know, Chapel holds up this like square thing and uh, he takes it and puts it on Spock. McCoy comments that it's lucky for Spock, his heart is where his liver should be, or he'd be dead. And Kirk's looking on very seriously. So just then the red alert sounds and Uhura is heard over the intercom saying red alert battle stations. Kirk calls up the bridge and Uhura reports a Klingon vessel is on their screen. So Kirk and Scotty run off to the bridge. But before Kirk goes, he looks back at McCoy and McCoy says, I don't know yet, Jim. So Dan, I have a question about Uhura issuing that order. Is she in command of the ship at that point? You know, that's the same thing I thought, because isn't it Kirk that usually issues the red alert? Yeah. And Scotty's not up there. He's down in in the transporter room. Well, it's kind of cool that that's the case, isn't it? That's how I'm taking it. Yeah. So Kirk and Scotty uh, get up there on the bridge. Chekhov reports that the Klingons haven't seen them yet. So Kirk uh, changes to yellow alert, and then he calls down to sickbay. McCoy says he'll let him know as soon as he knows anything. Kirk seems terribly affected by all this and then kirk says the the klingons have broken the treaty it just made me think he's always ready to believe the worst about the klingons klingons could have been on a fishing trip you know just don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah they could have been yeah or just going for short leave or whatever kirk asks how many centuries between those two developments in uhura says on earth about 12 sir scotty says 
A flintlock would be the first firearm the inhabitants would normally develop. Yes, I'm aware of that. Mr. Scott. And, sir, the fact that Earth took 12 centuries doesn't mean they had to. We've seen development at different rates on different planets. And if there were the Klingons behind it, why didn't they give them breech loaders? Or machine guns? Or old-style handling. did not lasers. invite a debate. And everybody looks stunned. And he looks around his crew and realizes that he's snapped. And he apologizes and says, I'm sorry, I'm worried about Spock and concerned about what's happened. Something I once knew down there. Then he looks at Scotty and says, you have the con, I'll be in sickbay. In sickbay, we see Spock on a medical table with a blanket over him. The readings above him look very low. Dr. Mabenga says, we've no replacements for the damaged organs, sir. If he's going to live, his Vulcan physiology will have to do it for him. So that's, Dan, that makes it sound like they have, you know, 3D printed organs. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So McCoy goes over and looks at Spock and he says, uh, he agrees with Mabenga and then he says, sterilite off. And there was like a red light, kind of a reddish pinkish light that was shining on Spock's body and Chapel flips a switch and that goes off. So I think that's kind of a cool concept and they've used that before, like a sterile field that's covered by that light. Why turn it off? I don't. Is it because the surgery's done and they don't need it anymore, or what? What's the reason for that? Save electricity. You know, the bills up this it's... month on the enterprise. <laughs> So McCoy goes over to Kirk and he says, he'll live or die now, Jim. I don't know which. <laughs> I mean, that's like, he's got a 50-50 chance, right? <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> that's a brilliant prognosis. Well, whatever happens, he can't say I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just covering his ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> So he turns and uh, points to uh, Mabenga and says, Dr. Mabenga interned on a Vulcan ward. He says he couldn't be in better hands. And Kirk still looks very concerned. Kirk says, then uh, you and I are beaming down to the planet. McCoy says, I can't leave Spock. And Kirk says, you just said you could. And Kirk goes on and says, the Klingons are down there and I'm going to need somebody I can trust down there. If the Klingons are breaking the treaty, it could lead to interstellar war. Kirk calls up to the bridge and says he and McCoy are beaming down and they're going to need native costumes. So Scotty warns that they may have to break out of orbit to keep out of sight from the Klingons. And he says, and then we'd be out of communicator range. So the next thing we see is he and McCoy beam down and they're like wearing animal skins, vests and boots. Is this the first time we hear about getting like native costumes from the ship's stores? But they did that in uh, the Landru one. They've got some seamstress in there just like, you know, what's this? Animal skins this week? What are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Just like some sweatshop, you know, way in the bowels of the Enterprise. So I the planet mccoy turns to kirk and says want to think about it again jim starfleet's orders about this planet state no interference and kirk says no interference with normal social development he says i'm not only aware of it it was my survey 13 years ago that recommended it. and mccoy says i read it inhabitants superior in many ways to humans left alone they undoubtedly someday will develop a remarkably advanced and peaceful culture i did notice when they go to the village there is a kid that looks just like kirk though <laughs> 
I want to know how you could see people walking around who've been hunting with bows and arrows for a century uh-huh. <laughs> and go, yeah, they're going to develop into a remarkably advanced and peaceful culture. Why? Because, you know, a kid over there was playing like with a, a toy rocket ship, you know, what? You know, <laughs> <laughs> some kids writing EMC squared on a E equals EMC squared on a rock. <laughs> Oh, he had the hair like Einstein. <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, and yeah, later there's the one of the darker guys has a mustache like Einstein's. So it's all bushy and wacky and stuff. So so Kirk says, are you coming with me? And McCoy says, do I have a choice? So they start off together. Suddenly, they're attacked by a big white gorilla with horns on its head and back. This is the Mugatu. Oh <laughs> Wow, Dana. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Dan. It, <laughs> it, it throws uh, McCoy aside, obviously a stuntman. Oh, this case, it was really obvious once again, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, DeForest Kelly's probably like 5'10". This guy was like 6'4". Yeah. <laughs> Real skinny. So Yes, yeah. yeah. And then he attacks Kirk, which is another stuntman. McCoy gets up and sees this Makatu has Kirk pinned to the ground, and it's biting Kirk's chest. And it's kind of funny because it's just like, (laughs) the sound effects were so bad. Yeah. And so then McCoy throws a rock to distract it. And even though the rock like comes close, the Magatu doesn't look up for like, I don't know, 10 seconds, still keep chomping away on Kirk. And then it finally stands up and faces McCoy and McCoy fires his phaser and disintegrates it. Now, Dana, I I have something to say about the whole rock, this whole rock throwing. There've been two rock throwing incidents already in this episode (laughs) that I'm like, come on. So you're right. He picks up that rock, he throws it, but if you watch that scene again, and I encourage all our listeners to do this, he throws the rock, it lands like two feet in front of him, and then they cut the scene, and then it hits the Mugatu. <laughs> I guess it could have bounced. I suppose that there is a possibility. Maybe gravity is a little bit different on this planet, even though it's <laughs> Earth-like. Yeah, so... <laughs> God, that costume, though, Dana, was so bad. I, I do remember as a kid that that thing scared me. As an adult, not so much, but... Uh... <laughs> But uh, we see Kirk is shaken. I mean, he's literally like shaking. He looks very ill. McCoy tries to contact the Enterprise, but can't. He realizes they've probably pulled away. Kirk is shaking, and McCoy tells him there's no antitoxin for this poison. Kirk says, Tyree, and that's the man he recognized before. Some of his men have a cure. We And then we see some of the Hill people standing by. And my question is, how long were they there? Yeah. So we've got two different tribes in essence here, right? Dan, the hill people, and they've got the dark hair. The hill people have the blonde hair. So, the, okay, the hill people are our Tyrese people? Yeah. And what are the other ones called? I can't remember what they're called. The village people. The, vill- <laughs> <laughs> the village people. No, were they really? <laughs> yeah. Well, they said the people from the village. One of them is dressed like a construction worker. You got, you got the... <laughs> there guys like an American Indian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what else did they have? They had a cowboy? Yeah. Did they have a cop? I think they had a cop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be great. They broke into YMCA in the middle of it. Yeah. So <laughs> Wow. McCoy goes to these guys that are standing there watching them. He tries to talk to them. One guy just stares at Kirk as McCoy explains what happened. McCoy says he's James Kirk, a friend of Tyree's. And the man just continues to stare. And we see Kirk is just like shaking. So the next thing we see is Kirk is being carried into the Hill People's camp. And we get a medical log from McCoy. So I've learned the hunter Tyree is now their leader. He is expected to return shortly with his wife, who they say knows how to cure this poison. So they take Kirk into this cave and McCoy wraps a fur around him. 
And then it's great because McCoy goes, you and your Garden of Eden. (laughs) (laughs) So next thing we see is a blonde dude, and this is Tyree. And he's with a dark-haired woman, Nona. She says they must obtain the fire stick so you could be killing them. And Tyree says, we will eventually return to a time of peace. And Nona says, in time. says, they kill your people. And she says, I am a Kanutu woman. In all this land, how many are there? Men seek us because... Through us, they become great leaders. And Tyree says, I took you because you cast a spell upon me. So she pulls out a leaf from a bag and says, I have many spells to cast. And she rubs the leaf on his arm and he's suddenly aroused and starts kissing her. Mm-hmm. Like like going full in, Dana. Yeah. And he's like kissing her neck and he's, and he's talking about the night of madness. Oh. Which I can only think just means like wild monkey sex i mean i don't know it's wild just, mugatu know. sex yeah <laughs> so yeah and then tyree says it brought out the beast from my soul or his pants <laughs> that's uh, yeah it's a different planet that's what they refer to their pants as my soul yeah <laughs> <laughs> she says only one lovely beast tyree my huge angry man <laughs> oh that was the real line yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, my God. This other guy walks up. His name's Yutan. And he tells Nona about Kirk having been bitten by the Magatu. Meanwhile, in the background, Tyree is sniffing the leaf that she gave him. <laughs> and he's like he's stoned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Nona says, strangers. And she gets, like, all excited. Mm-hmm. And she leaves. And Tyree is still standing there sniffing the leaf like a cat with catnip. <laughs> That's exactly what he was like. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. So back in the cave, we see Kirk with the animal skin over him. McCoy uses his phaser to heat up a couple of rocks. Huh, we never thought of that as a use for a phaser, Dana. <laughs> when I was in Boy Scouts, we were taught that you know you can build a rock enclosure around a fire. Mm-hmm. But you have to be careful because some rocks actually have like water in them. Oh, yeah. And they'll explode. Mm-hmm. How's McCoy know those rocks that he's pointing the phaser at and heating up aren't, you know, some kind of rare mineral that's going to give off a gas or something or explode? Or Well, did you notice, too, when he was going to heat them up, he looked at the phaser and then he spun the dial a little bit? Yeah. There must be a setting like you were pointing out, was it during our review show, that there was actually a setting on there that said... Heat rocks. Yeah. You got to skip past the warm-up coffee. Because it's probably above warm-up coffee, but below stun? Do you think it's below stun? I think it's uh, between like stunned and chalk outline of a body. Uh, (laughs) I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. So you're talking about the rocks exploding? One of my brothers once was telling me that he was camping with some people and someone put the entire can unopened of pork and beans in a fire. No one should ever do that. None of our listeners should do that. Yeah, friend of mine that I camped with used to want to play Where's Waldo. God, I don't even want to know what that game is, Dana. <laughs> no, he would uh, cut out Waldo from the cereal box. Oh, yeah. And he would put him on a can of beans mm-hmm. and put it in the fire. And then the uh, the can would explode and shit would fly everywhere. <laughs> and, and so then you could see if you could find the scrap that hopefully wasn't in your eye that had Waldo on it. <laughs> <laughs> beans that are napalm hot at this point <laughs> yeah. seared well that would have been an easy way to get a tattoo you would have had a where's waldo tattoo just like somewhere <laughs> there's waldo yeah. 
That sounds fun, actually. That does sound kind of fun. I mean, it sounds kind of fun to put a can of beans in the fire. Yeah, it makes uh, camp, you know, you get bored on camping and you want to do something fun, different. Just got to make sure you're not standing nearby the fire when it goes off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where are we? (laughs) (laughs) So Nona comes in and sees him using the phaser and she gets all worked up about it. So then she leaves. And he didn't see her, right? No, no, he didn't see. He was too busy heating rocks. (laughs) Got to give your full attention there. Sure, yeah. So Tyree comes in and says, you must save Kirk. He is my friend from long ago. And she says, my remedies require that I know all about a man and what kind of man he is. I'll lift up the blanket. (laughs) (laughs) And Tyree says, he was made my brother. And Nona smiles and says, and I am your wife. So I am his sister. Kind of fucked up family is this? (laughs) (laughs) I I heard that too. I was like, wait, does it work that way? Well, in Georgia, it works that way. Well, that's because it really is your sister that you're, you know, marrying. (laughs) (laughs) Do we have any listeners in Georgia, Dana? (laughs) Not anymore. Oh, man, they're coming after us. (laughs) (laughs) Squeal like a Megatu boy. (laughs) (laughs) Squeal like a Megatu. (laughs) wow back on the enterprise we see spock and sickbay chapel is holding his hand she looks quite concerned uh mabenga shows up and she lets go of spock's hand mabenga tells her not to worry about the low readings he's seen it before it's the way vulcans concentrate their strength chapel says you mean he's conscious and mabenga says in a sense And he says, he probably knows you were holding his hand. And he smiles at her and he leaves. Dana, but it's been established that Chapel is very interested in Spock. I mean, early on in season one. Definitely. I mean, and and it, it seems like Spock cares about her as well. Right. Maybe not as much as she cares about him. We go back to the cave. Tyree and Nona enter. Tyree introduces himself to McCoy and Nona says, I am his woman. And then she pulls a thing out of her purse and it's quivering in her hand. McCoy asks, what is it? And she says, it's a maku root. She hands Tyree her knife. Tyree cuts her hand and she starts writhing and twisting. And she sets the maku root on Kirk's wound and puts her bleeding hand over it. She presses her hand down and continues to writhe. And then she like passes out on top of Kirk. And Tyree is beating a drum. Where the f*** did he get a Congo drum from? <laughs> I know this was by Desi Lu. Did, you know, Ricky stop by with his drums? Like, you know. <laughs> did you notice, too, that as he was beating the drum like faster and faster, McCoy is kind of kind of shaking his head and kind of getting into the rhythm a little bit? Yeah. Kirk looks at McCoy and says, Bones, I had the strangest dream. And he says he's very tired. <laughs> and then <laughs> This whole scene, Dana, I just got to say, was really hard for me to get through without laughing. Yeah. I was positive, Dana, that when we read about the actress who played Nona, that we were going to see she had another career after Star Trek like some of the other female actresses did. So Kirk falls asleep. McCoy removes the root and sees there is no wound. He looks at Nona's hand and there is no scar. And Nona looks up at McCoy and says, our blood has passed through the Maku root together. Our souls have been together. He is mine now. McCoy stops and says, he is hers? And Tyree explains, when a man and woman are joined in this manner, he can refuse her no wish, but it is only a legend. 
Dana, space is not just the final frontier. Actually, space, as in available memory, can be an annoying frontier. Photobucket can keep you from getting those phone-is-full messages when you're trying to take an important picture. Avoid the phone-is-full message with Photobucket's auto-backup feature and never worry about running out of room on your phone again. Photobucket works with you to make sure you don't miss an important picture because you're out of storage. Right now, Photobucket is offering one terabyte of storage for five bucks. Couple that with the auto backup feature and you'll have all the space you need. I think my phone only holds 256 gigabytes, Dan. It seems crazy, but that amount of space fills up fast. And you need to multiply that by four to get the same amount of space as one terabyte. Four times? That must be hundreds of thousands of images. That's a lot of space, Dan. Speaking of space, that cave Kirk and McCoy are in looks kind of roomy. Let's get back to this episode and see what happens next. So we come back to the cave and we see McCoy is sleeping. He wakes up and looks around for Kirk but cannot find him. He goes to the room where Tyree took Nona and Kirk is there next to Nona. He's like sitting on the edge of her bed. He's just kind of staring, isn't he? Yeah. Tyree sits up and Kirk and Tyree recognize each other. And Tyree says, James, my old friend. And Tyree says, this is my wife, Nona. Congratulations, Tyree. We must talk now. The villagers with their new weapons. I want to hear all about it. We must make plans. And Nona says, good. It is time to plan. And Tyree says, much has happened since you left, James. Come, we'll speak of it. And the men leave, but he stops Nona from following. He says, we will speak of it. On the Enterprise, Spock's reading show Fluctuation, Mabenga leans in to Spock and says, I am Dr. Mabenga. Someone will be here with you always. He turns to Chapel. As soon as he shows any signs of consciousness, call me immediately. After you call me, if he speaks, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says? Well, yes. Well, that's clear enough, isn't it? So back in the cave, Tyree has explained that the flintlocks appeared nearly a year ago. Kirk asks if Tyree can take them to the village at night. And Tyree warns him that that's when the Magatu comes out at night. And he looks at McCoy and says, you've killed one. Its mate won't be far. And Kirk shows his phaser and says, you've seen how these work. And Nona comes in and says, she's seen how they work. You have many ways to make Tyree a man of great importance. Then Kirk explains. We once were as you are. Spears, arrows. There came a time when our weapons grew faster than our wisdom, and we almost destroyed ourselves. We learned from this to make a rule during all our travels, never to cause the same to happen to other worlds. And Nona gets mad and says, so you'll let your friend die? You will not let your friend kill his enemies? And Tyree says, no, I will not kill. Nona says, we must fight or die. Is dying better? You would let him die when you have the weapons to save him? Then he has the wrong friends, and I have the wrong husband. And she leaves. Ooh, man, that was harsh. Tyree looks at Kirk and says, she does not understand. I have faith in our friendship, James. He says, come before we lose the darkness. So next thing we see is Tyree, Kirk, and McCoy on the edge of a village. So they move forward and Kirk sees a guard. He runs up and grabs the guard from behind and chokes him and then drops him to the ground. And Tyree picks up the guard's gun. But Tyree has never used a gun before. No, he's just like holding it. Like So the next thing we see is a Klingon sitting in a room. And this guy enters with this dark black wig. And he looks a little bit like Sonny Bono. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Now that I think of it, Nona looks a little bit like Cher. 
Yeah, a little. Long black hair. Tight go-go pants. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Danny, you're onto something there with the Sonny Sonny Bono thing. (laughs) So, but I mean, like the guy's got like this bad mustache. He looks like a hippie. The Klingon says, you are late, Appella. And Appella says, there was a quarrel with my people. The division of some skins and a hill woman taken this morning. The Klingon, whose name is Krell, says, uh, give her to the man who has killed the most of her people. The others will see the prophet in bravery. And then he says, I'll make a Klingon out of you yet. So Krell hands Appella a flintlock and says, your next improvement. Then he says, when I return, we will give you other improvements. So outside we see Kirk and McCoy. Uh, McCoy holds up a couple of rocks and he says, coal for the forge, sulfur for gunpowder. Oh, hold on, Dana. They're just, these two things are just laying outside. Yeah, one was like in a barrel and the other one was like, in a pile. Oh, okay. I'm I missed that part. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you watch the show? <laughs> I read the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> God, do you remember Cliff Notes? Yeah. I always felt like dirty when I go into the bookstore to get Cliff Notes, though, you know? It's like asking for the penthouse behind the uh, counter. Exactly. Uh, do you have the Cliff Notes for Whom the Bell Tolls? <laughs> <laughs> so inside the building, they find the forge. Kirk finds a chrome steel drill bit. He says, Exhibit 1. And McCoy says the pig iron is almost carbon free. And McCoy apparently knows a lot about iron, but not a lot about Vulcan anatomy. Even though he's been serving with a Vulcan on the ship for a couple of years now. Right, exactly. I don't know much about this, but I know about pig iron. Anyone want to know? That <laughs> can make a mean mint julep. So they hear these voices and Kirk hides behind the forge and uh, McCoy goes into this other room, hides behind the wall and Appella and Krell enter. Klingon says, you'll be rich someday, governor of a whole world. McCoy's tricorder goes off and the Klingon turns. Kirk jumps over the anvil and knocks down Krell. McCoy hits Appella with the gun barrel and then they run to the door and you can see there's two men with guns in the doorway. So the armed men motion for them to get out of the door and they kind of move back into the barn and then Kirk hits the guy closest to him and McCoy uses the gun barrel again to hit the other guy and when he does he like swings it and knocks down all the gun barrels on the wall I thought it was a mistake I thought it was a mistake that they left in the episode because it didn't even look to me like he hit the guy yeah and and the look a little bit on DeForest Kelly's face almost looked like oop I wasn't supposed to hit those it just looked off to me yeah and the guy just dropped You're right. You're exactly right. Having knocked those guys out, they both run out. They find Tyree, and he's still, like, holding the flintlock. Yeah, where's he been this whole time? He's just been sitting there, like, you know, out in the open. They take off running, and the uh, guys from the barn come out shooting at them. Back on the Enterprise, we see Spock wake up. His breathing is pretty harsh, and he calls for the nurse. Chapel runs to him, and he says, hit me. (laughs) Sorry, Dana. (laughs) And she's like, I can't do that. And says, the pain will help me regain consciousness. And Chapel kind of like gives him a little tap. And then he says, hit me, hit me harder. And Chapel finally gives him a, a slap. Then she just starts slapping him repeatedly. This is for throwing that soup about a year ago, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I've been meaning to take this out on you. So then Scotty is passing by. And he sees her, uh, he, he pulls her away and goes, what are you doing, woman? And then uh, Mabenga comes in and he runs over to Spock and he helps Spock sit up. And then he just starts slapping the shit out of him. <laughs> 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 
I mean, he hits him like five or six times and finally Spock catches his hand and he says, that will be quite enough. And then Spock explains to Scotty and Chapel that she was doing what he asked. So Scotty asked Chapel, hey, can you can you do that to me? We'll play slap the haggis. <laughs> I do, I do have one thing to say. I know sometimes Dana, I notice these stupid things, but when Spock is in sickbay laying in the bed, you know, and she slaps him a couple times, we get a, we get a real close-up on his face, right? Yeah. His left nostril looks huge, like abnormally huge. <laughs> I don't know. It might have just been a trick of the light, but as she's slapping him, it looked like someone had taken, I don't know, something huge and jammed it up his nostril and it just and it just stayed big wow so back on the planet kirk is trying to teach the hill people how to use the flintlock they've got there's two targets set up on a rock and tyree hits one of the targets mccoy walks up and he's you he can see he's kind of mad and he says i need to talk to you and so he and kirk go into a cave mccoy says it's not bad enough there's already one serpent in eden teaching one side about gunpowder you're going to make sure they all know about it exactly each side receives the same knowledge and the same type of firearm have you gone out of your mind and kirk explains it will balance things out they have to equalize things and mccoy says you're condemning this planet to a war that never ends and kirk cuts him off and he asks mccoy what would you do and mccoy says well i don't know kirk says then shut the fuck up would <laughs> 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 just great if he said that and then slapped him yeah <laughs> Mabinga taught me this little move, and here it is. So Kirk says they have to be equal. There has to be a balance of power. Bones, do you remember the 20th century brush wars on the Asian continent? Two giant powers involved, much like the Klingons and ourselves. Neither side felt that they could pull out? Yes, I remember. It went on bloody year after bloody year. And if the Klingons give their side even more, then we arm our side with exactly that much more. A balance of power, the trickiest most difficult, dirtiest game of them all, but the only one that preserves both sides. So on the Enterprise, we see Spock on the bridge and he takes the command chair. Chekhov reports the Klingons haven't seen them yet, but it looks like the Klingons are beaming someone aboard. Spock tells them to signal Captain Kirk. Won't the Klingons know then that they're there? That's what I was thinking. So on the planet, Kirk is walking and he sees Nona. Apparently she just took a bath or a shower as she's putting on her fur. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like a little waterfall, right? And she had pants on, though. So, how, you know, how does that work? Those pants, I, I don't know if she could have gotten them off if she wanted to. They were so tight. That's really true, yeah. So Kirk walks up to her, and she holds the plant up to Kirk that she had used on Tyree before. And she said, can you smell this fragrance? So Kirk is starting to fall under her spell, and he looks dizzy. And Kirk turns to Nona and says, yes, yes, you are lovely. And then he kisses her, and it's like, you know, about knocks her teeth out the way he kisses her. Just as uh, Kirk is making out with Nona, uh, Magatu comes and tries to attack them. Oh, this is the mate of the one that they killed earlier, probably, right? Yeah, it looked pretty mad. So Kirk just wants to make out. He's like holding on to Nona and paying no attention to the beast. And Nona is screaming and trying to pull away from Kirk. And then she finally gets away from Kirk. And then she has to dodge the Magatu. Kirk pulls his phaser and kills the beast as, as uh, Nona looks on. And then Kirk is like weakened and uh, so he kind of like crumples down on the ground and Nona comes up and hits him over the head with a rock and takes the phaser 
This is the second time that we've seen an officer from the Enterprise get hit in the head with a rock by a woman on an alien planet. And it's not like a little rock, and it's not like it wouldn't cause some damage. <laughs> some severe damage, like cracking the skull completely open. Yeah, I mean, how do you hit somebody lightly with a rock to knock them out like that, you know? So yeah. We go back to the camp of the Hill people, and Tyree comes in, and McCoy asks where Kirk is. Tyree points back and says, uh, over there. So Tyree says he'll take him back there, and they go, and, and then they look around, and they see Kirk and Nona runs off as they approach and she goes to the village people. She looked like she could have joined the village people. I mean, her outfit. She's going through the woods and she sees this, the dark haired village people coming out uh, up a hill. She jumps out and says, take me to Appella and I will give him this weapon. And she holds out the phaser. One of the men says, she's Tyree's woman. And the men just attack her and she fights them off and tries to use the phaser but she doesn't know really how to use it and then kirk mccoy and tyree come running up and the villagers think it's a trap and one of the guys just pulls out a knife and stabs nona so one of the uh village people guys picks up his rifle and fires at uh kirk mccoy and tyree and the shot actually hits mccoy in the arm and kirk and tyree run down the hill to attack the villagers as one of the other hill people comes running up and mccoy looks on and then he goes and checks on nona the battle ensues kirk is fighting one of the guys and another and Tyree's fighting and then Tyree lifts a rock and he's going to kill one of the villagers but Kirk stops him. Tyree kind of realizes you know that he was just crazy with anger and so he sets the rock down and he goes over to Nona and McCoy says she's dead. Tyree picks up the gun and says I want more of these Kirk many more. He says I will kill them. And Kirk watches him go. McCoy finds Kirk's phaser and hands it to him. They kind of stare after Tyree. They call up the Enterprise and Spock answers. McCoy happily says, Spock, are you alive? An illogical question, Doctor, since obviously you are hearing my voice. Well, I don't know why I was worried. You can't kill a computer. And we see Spock's face and reaction as he looks like he's a little bit confused by McCoy's comment. And isn't Scotty standing next to him? He's kind of got a smirk on his face. Yeah. Scotty's like, uh, Doctor, you want me to call him a binga up here to have him slap him a few more times for you? <laughs> So Kirk says Spock asked Scotty how long it would take him to reproduce 100 flintlocks. And Scotty's grin fades away and says, I didn't get that exactly, Captain. 100 what? And Kirk says with a heavy sigh. Serpents for the Garden of Eden. We're very tired, Mr. Spock. Beam us up home. And that's how the show ends, Dan. So, Dana, why don't you tell us a little bit about the woman who played Nona? Dan, that was Nancy Kovac. She's actually still alive today. She was in many TV shows, like a lot of others at the time. She was in Batman. She was in The Man from Uncle. I Dream of Jeannie. She was in Voyage to Bottom of the Sea. And she was even nominated for an Emmy for a performance in the TV show Mannix. She made several movies, including Jason and the Argonauts. She was also in Diary of a Madman. And believe it or not, Dan, she was in a Elvis movie as well. Wow. And her last feature film was, uh, I think it was 1968, was a film called Marooned about a uh, spaceship that's uh, marooned in space. Oh, I remember that movie. No other types of films. She wasn't in any other types of films. That's all that's listed. She uh, actually uh, left Hollywood and married a... Uh, conductor they lived happily ever after i think they're both still alive 
Yeah, I think uh, I think I read there they live in Germany. Yeah, that's right. Okay, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Dan? Dana, I'd like to talk about the original writer of this episode. His name was Don Ingalls. He wrote the first script. Roddenberry didn't like it, so he rewrote it, and he did such an extensive rewrite of the show that Don Ingalls was upset by it. This seems to be kind of a theme with some of the writers in Star Trek. So he insisted that a pseudonym be used in the credits, and he used the pseudonym Judd Crucis. And Judd Crucis is a wordplay on Jesus crucified. My, my God, these egos that these people have. <laughs> Why would Roddenberry even allow that pseudonym to be used, Dana? I mean, it was obviously a slam against him, right? Yeah, I would think. Dana, what did you see as the main dilemma in this episode? That whole balance of power and is, is the, the big dilemma is Kirk helping or is he hindering? Does he save his friend but doom the planet to war? They looked at it as this beautiful spot, this Garden of Eden type thing. He couldn't keep it pure forever. What about you, Dan? Would you have any themes or dilemmas you want to discuss? I think it kind of piggybacks on that, Dana, talking about these two superpowers that are kind of fighting battles through other people, you know, through proxies. The producers of this episode talked about how this really was a metaphor for the Vietnam War. It was pretty clear. Dan, do you have a best part for this episode? Dana, this one was tough for me. At first, this was going to be my worst part. And then I kind of thought about it. And it was the ending. This show ended and it was really unsatisfying. I thought like a whole scene got cut out where we've got some resolution to the battle, the conflict, you know, between the hill people and the village people. But the more I thought about it, I really thought that it was the perfect ending, especially in the time when the Vietnam War was raging. I mean, this was early 1968 when this episode came out. The ending, to me, was like this perfect metaphor for, at the time, what seemed like an unending war. How about a best part for you? The overall dilemma that Kirk faces with helping his friend uh, gain the weapons he needs to fight back against a better armed foe. You could see Kirk struggle with it. He didn't want to do that. Again, you know, as I said in my themes and dilemmas, this is a place that uh, Kirk thought of was, you know, perfect. That struggle was very obvious and uh, and really a great part of the show. Do you get another uh, best part for us? Dr. Mabinga slapping the crap out of Spock. I just thought that was great. <laughs> How about another best part for you, Dana? Spock sickbay recovery. The fact that we learn more about the Vulcans, uh, this whole kind of being able to focus on your wound and, you know, repairing the organ from inside. Pretty neat concept and expands the idea of how alien uh, a Vulcan really is. So, Dan, how about a worst part for you? The fight between Nona and the Hill people. I mean, just not not good, Dana. How about a worse part for you? The really bad wigs. <laughs> Something I was thinking about when I was watching this. In the original series, they messed with uh, people's hair for being a different species. Uh, and in Next Generations, they add prosthetics to the faces. But yeah, in, in the original series, they just gave them bad, really bad wigs. So Dan, do you have any other worse parts? The wigs, the same thing, exactly the same thing. I wonder, though, if that wig that's up for auction was worn by Shatner in this episode. Dana, how about some other worst parts that you have? The quote-unquote village people, they know how to build a town. They've got walls. They've got, you know, looks like several different types of structures. And then the hill people live in tents and caves. So one is already obviously more advanced than the others. And there's no nothing that says why they're not working together why they're at war. If they were peaceful before and somebody came down and handed them guns and said, go kill this guy, would they just do it? 
wouldn't they question it? Was that was that the only other worst part, Dana? It seems like you're chomping at the bit to get something off your chest. I realized that they were trying to make a point with this episode, but Kirk could have tried to get the two factions together. He could have taught them about negotiations, could have, you know, talked to Tyree about working towards a peaceful resolution, the concept of detente, any of these things. But he just kind of like shrugs his shoulders and goes, well, let's give them flintlock so there's a balance of power instead of, you know, we need to be here and help them and help these people get along like they used to before the Klingon interference. And what, what are the Klingons gaining out of this? Yeah, what are they gaining out of this, Dana? That is a great question. It's not like there's dilithium on the planet. Dan, I've gone on and on. Do you have any other worst parts that you want to get in? I would say the the writing and the dialogue for Nona was was pretty bad. Some of it didn't make any sense. Some of it was just like one of our Facebook commenters said, word salad. I mean, it just was gobbledygook. <laughs> Dana, what happened on this date in history? Dan, this episode aired on February 2nd, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was Green Tambourine by the Lemon Pipers. Used to be one of my favorite songs as a kid. And then the uh, number one song in the U.K. was Everlasting Love by Love Affair. Also on this date, Wilt Chamberlain of the Philadelphia 76ers performed the first and only triple-double-double in National Basketball Association history with 22 points, 25 rebounds, and 21 assists in a 131-121 win at home over the Detroit Pistons. Also on this date, the United States 1st Cavalry Division was able to take back the city of Quang Tri from the Viet Cong two days after the provincial capital had been taken during the Tet Offensive. British musicians Ian Anderson, Jeffrey Hammond, and John Evan, who played under various billings such as Navy Blue and Ian Anderson's Bag of Nails, appeared in concert for the first time under the name that would become their trademark, Jethro Tull. So much better than Bag of Nails, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid name. I love their music. Their talent agent, Dave Robson, had suggested that they borrow the name of the 18th century agriculturist and inventor, the Viscount Jethro Tall, who had invented the horse-drawn seed drill that had revolutionized agriculture. Just to uh, round things out here, on February 1st, I thought this was very interesting. Minimum wage in the United States was raised from $1.40 an hour to $1.60 an hour. Also, uh, last but not least, Lisa Marie Presley was born on February 1st, 1968. Wait, it's sad that she passed away so young, you know? Yeah. Or faked her death like her father. God, is that disrespectful? Is there anything on here that we say that is respectful? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention that Polly Shore was also born, but I really don't like him. So, I don't <laughs> God, I haven't heard I haven't heard about Polly Shore in probably fifteen years. He was at uh, one time either married to or living with uh, Tia Carrera. How did that ever happen? Exactly, and that makes me hate him all the more. Before we get to the counts, Dan, we want to once again thank our sponsor, PhotoBucket. PhotoBucket, where memories come alive. The go-to platform for all your photo and video sharing needs. So whether you're a dedicated Trekkie or just discovering the wonders of Star Trek universe for the first time, tune in to Damn It Jim, the podcast, and let PhotoBucket help you capture the essence of your own interstellar journey. Every picture and video you take today is a memory you'll treasure tomorrow. That's something PhotoBucket takes seriously. 
and what makes PhotoBucket different. Compression-free backup cloud storage means your pictures and videos won't lose quality over time. So that picture you take at your first Star Trek convention will still look fresh and new when you go to your 25th. Remember, use the code DAMMITJIM for a free month of PhotoBucket when you sign up. Hey, on to the counts, Dan. How many dead crewmen did we have this week, Dana? Not one. That leaves us still stuck at 44, Dan. We've been stuck there for a while, haven't we? Yeah, a few episodes. Yeah. How about the shirtless Kirk Ripshirt Kirk count? We did see his chest when she was doing the root thing on him. Do you want to count that? Yeah, I, I counted it. Our tally now is at 16, Dan. All right. How about the he's dead count, Dana? Bones did say she's dead. And it wasn't about one of the crewmen, but he did say it. Yeah, I, I think it works. And that takes us up to 13, Dan. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. No, he didn't say it at all this week. So we're stuck at eight, Dan. All right, the supreme being count. Yeah, there was no supreme beings within 100 miles of this episode. So, uh, <laughs> Not even the writers. So especially some of that dialogue. Uh, so we're still stuck at nine. Dana, how about violation of the prime directive? Dan, I struggled with this one a little bit. I, was, I wanted to say yes. And then I said no, but then I was thinking, well, the Klingons were involved. So does that nullify the prime directive? Because they were trying to help the planet because the Klingons were involved. Well, what's your gut feeling though, Dana? My thought by giving the Hill people guns, by shooting the phaser, they broke the prime directive. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think they definitely did. Then that takes us up to eight. How about the taking over of the Enterprise count, Dana? Uh, Mabenga kind of took it over in the, uh, you know, sick bay, but uh, I don't think that's what we're looking for here. So I'm going to say zero, and that leaves us at seven. Dana, we didn't do so bad this week, though. We had three counts that improved. Yeah, not the ones we want all the time, but, uh, you know, the rip shirt, that's that's uh, one we haven't had in a while. Well, we have a little bit of news for next week, don't we, Dana? We do. Something our fans probably are going to be upset about, but it's not just me this time. It's not just me. We're actually going on a little journey, aren't we? Yeah, we're uh, taking a trip going to uh, see some friends in uh, the state of Tennessee. Yeah, so Dana and I have known each other for a long time. The two friends we're meeting, Jeff and Steve, I've known them since second grade. And so we're going to Nashville. So if any of our fans are in the Nashville area and you want to come out and buy us a drink, we'd love to do that. We're going to also try to raise some money to buy William Shatner's toupee. Dana's a pretty accomplished mime, so he's going to be doing some miming. <laughs> And if I remember, I'll take some pictures, upload them to Photo Bucket, and we'll share them with everybody. <laughs> By the way, Dana, I hate mimes. I know you're not a mime. I, I hate mimes. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. I got accosted by a mime in uh, Chicago one time. <laughs> you wait till the end of the episode to tell this story? No, it was, it was one of those things, you know, he's performing out. It was like right on Michigan Avenue. Uh, and uh, he's doing his, you know, walking like in the wind type thing and stuff. And I had been in this restaurant and I walked out and he followed behind kind of mimicking my walk and stuff. And then uh, he got in front of me and pretended he was holding up a cigarette for me to light. And I just kind of smile at him and i tried to walk around him and he kept getting in my way oh my god <laughs> i was like you're about to find out what chicago traffic's like out in the middle of michigan avenue <laughs>
so you know and people were laughing and stuff and it's just didn't you know he was just annoying and so i uh walked around him and looked back and he was you know doing the whole pantomiming that he was mad just a pain an awful memory you know so so dana i seem to recall uh, about this time there was an unsolved murder of a mime in the city of chicago (laughs) yeah i wouldn't be telling the story if that was the case So we'll be gone next week. We're going to do an encore episode. But when we come back in two weeks, what is the episode we'll be doing? Oddly enough, it's going to be called Return to Tomorrow. All right, Dana, once again, great time talking about Star Trek tonight. The episode was a little hit and miss. The wigs were horrible, but it's always fun to talk about these episodes with you. As I always say, it's great to get together with you and talk about Star Trek. I hope our uh, listeners appreciate the commentary. And thanks again for writing to us and calling us, reaching out to us any way you can. So until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, X, YouTube, or Instagram. Next week is an encore episode as Dana and Dan will be in Nashville. Join Dan and Dana in two weeks for Return to Tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.